This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Not in the mood for love today? Well, not to worry. Whether you love Valentine's Day or you hate it, we speak your language. That's right, poems, words. It's how people throughout the centuries have honored love and expressed the pain of heartbreak. And we're gonna, we're gonna talk about both. Joining us to do that is Adrian Matika, former poet laureate of Indiana, now editor of Poetry Magazine. Welcome to Reset, Adrian. It's good to be here. And joining us is the president of the American Writers Museum, Carrie Cranston. Welcome back to Reset, Carrie. Good to see you. Good to see you. So I, I want both of you to share, uh, first of all, a, a piece of writing celebrating love that, that really speaks to you. You first, Adrian. Well, thank you for giving me this this time, too, because, you know, happy Valentine's Day yes. to everyone who celebrates. Happy Valentine's um, Day. It's a perfect day for poems. Every day is a perfect day for poems. Um, I chose... Uh, Sonnet number 17 from uh, Pablo Neruda, who I think is the, the greatest love poem writer. Um, it's translated from Spanish. I don't love you as if you were a rose of salt, topaz, or arrow of coronations that propagate fire. I love you as one loves certain obscure things secretly between the shadow and the soul. I love you as the plant that doesn't bloom but carries the light of those flowers hidden within itself. And thanks to your love, the tight aroma that arose from the earth lives dimly in my body. I love you without knowing how or when or from where. I love you directly without problems or pride. I love you like this because I don't know any other way to love except that this form in which I am not, nor are you, so close that your hand upon my chest is mine so close that your eyes close with my dreams. Oh, Adrian. <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> Carrie, how are you going to follow I, that? I, that's incredibly difficult. Beautiful, um, beautiful words. So, um, your turn, Carrie. I, I, I have a piece here from uh, poet Mary Oliver. Um, so not anyone who says, not anyone who says, I'm going to be careful and smart in the matters of love, who says, I'm going to choose slowly, but only those lovers who didn't choose at all, but were, as it were, chosen by something invisible and powerful and uncontrollable and beautiful and possibly even unsustainable. Only those know what I'm talking about in this talking about love. Absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous poem. Uh, we are largely a paperless society right now, right? So, Listening to you two, I, it made me think, is there something significant about taking pen to paper to express your feelings rather than just putting it in a text? What do you think, Adrian? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of text. You're not? Okay. <laughs> um, so this was the perfect question for yeah, you. Yeah, but I, but I love the idea of text as writing. Mm -hmm. you know? And like the, there have been love poems since people figured out, you know, kind of symbols to be able to, to express that. You know, the, the oldest known love poem is from 2000 BCE, and it was in... Um, really? Yeah, it was from, they found it in Mesopotamia. It was called The Love Song of, of Shim Shin, and it was uh, written for a, 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 a Mesopotamian king's wedding. Wow. So, like, so that long ago, someone figured out that they needed to catalog all of those emotions and all of those feelings um, in celebration, but also in um, remembrance. Yeah, absolutely. And Carrie, I understand that your museum, you've inspired quite a, a few visitors to express their love 
on paper. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, um, you know, within the museum, we have a lot of tactile and interactive elements. Mm -hmm. and one of them is an area where there are manual typewriters that anybody can use. They can write anything they want. They can post it on the wall. Um, and, you know, we've been fortunate in that we've had people meet at events at our museum. Uh, we have a couple who come every month to our monthly events because they met during a book swap we held um, probably three or four years ago. And then we've had two marriage proposals on those typewriters. That is wonderful. Yeah. And I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I agree that, you know, as much as we love electronic things and I, I, I love those areas, um, you know, there is something about the tactile nature um, of what you give to someone. And, and uh, Adrian and I were talking outside earlier that, you know, I am not a poet. Um, I am not a, a talented poet in any way, shape or form. And the uh, but, you know, with my wife and I have been together 30 years. And, you know, when I got to know her as a visual artist, I went and bought postcards of Georgia O'Keeffe paintings and wrote bad poetry on every one of them. <laughs> but, Carrie, you're, you've got to be doing something right. <laughs> So, but you know that medium of finding the right vessel, the the right piece of paper, you know, um, the, whether it's using a typewriter or handwritten, you know, personalizes the message so much. Absolutely. So, for those listeners struggling with what to write to their sweetheart today, what would you say is the secret, Adrian? Like, how do you, how do you write a poem that doesn't seem, I'm sorry to say, it cheesy? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit. I mean, they're the hardest kinds of poems to write because everybody writes them. I mean, mine a, would start with roses are red. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good start, right? I mean, everything that we, uh, every person I know just about who's a poet has something in their catalog of love poems. So it makes it a little bit tough. The first thing I would suggest, and this is a gratuitous plug, but you should go to poetryfoundation.org because we have thousands and thousands of poems, including yeah. the one that I read that you can take a look at. And, and steal some things from to begin with. Yeah. But the main thing that I would suggest to anyone who's having trouble writing a poem is to be honest mm. and think about the things that you really want to say as opposed to what you think you might want to say. And instead of thinking about how a poem sounds like, how Pablo Neruda's poem sounds, think about what your poem sounds like and what your voice sounds like when you tell someone that you love them. So really taking that moment to sit and, and think about the person yeah, exactly. and, and the emotions that are coming. Yeah, yeah, that are flowing toward you. Absolutely. That's the great gift of love poetry. It's very specific. It's often about, you know, one person trying to convey the feelings of love for another person. It's all internal, right? Mm. But if they do it right, that allows me to think about my person and think about the ways that I, I love, you know, and so. You're inspiring me. I'm writing a poem today. <laughs> no, really, I am. I still have to. I hope he's not listening, but I still have to go <laughs> buy a card. And I think I'm going to write a poem inside the card. That's how you right? said that this is, this is the game. A yeah. Genius idea, isn't it? Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> uh, you used to teach writing, Carrie. So why don't you tell us your, your advice to folks struggling with how to express their emotions today? You know, the, the basic things we always talk about in teaching people to write, um, you know, the first is not to feel like every drop of ink is perfect. You know, grab a piece of scratch paper, write down words, scratch out the ones you don't like after you read it. You know, it's the drafting process. You really need to open yourself up to failure, you know, to putting words down that don't work to mm -hmm. find the ones that do. Mm. You know, I, I, you know, as Adrian was saying, being truthful and honest is hugely important. And then, you know, but also recognizing that no writer 
immediately write what Pablo wrote in that poem. It doesn't come out that way. It's a process. So and we're going to keep referencing that poem because it was literal perfection. Oh, so, yeah. I'm so glad you read that, Adrian. Thank you for saying that. I, I wish I'd written it, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's from a book, for anyone who's interested, it's from a book called A Hundred Love Poems. So there's another 99 to discover in Pablo mm -hmm. Neruda's book. Writing it the, down yeah. as you speak. Well, you you mentioned there, Carrie, about the, the room for failure, right? Yeah. And and when do you recognize that? I mean, do you, do you recognize that in the writing process? Or, I mean, worst case scenario, it's, you know, you read the poem to the person or the, you know, and, and it falls flat. <laughs> and that's when you, you realize it didn't go so well. Yeah, I mean, all writers face the idea that the audience isn't going to gravitate to it as strongly as they thought they would, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is why writers have editors and why they have readers and people who look at their work before they put it out to the world. But on an individual basis, the truth is, if you write four lines um, of, of verse for somebody who you have significant meaning to, it will probably land pretty well. Yeah. The effort in and of itself will have an impact. But yeah, but the writing process is never easy. Um, but it's it's also not hard. It, it's fun. You yeah. know, it's, and that's one of the things we try and get across in the museum is that, you know, when you're on a manual typewriter or when you're doing something that other people are engaged with in the process, you realize that writing is discovery and writing is fun. And and sometimes you come out with something that's beautiful. Something you can enjoy, too, in the, in the process. Adrian, do you wish that this weren't just an annual tradition? Uh, Valentine's Day? Yeah. I mean, do you want to see us inscribing our affection for our loved ones more regularly? Absolutely. I, think <laughs> I don't want to be cliche with the every day is Valentine's Day, you know, idea, but, but you know, yeah. But that's, a, that's a good way to live, you know? I mean, to, to live like sort of heart first that way would be very nice. Plus candy. Um, and you know, some of the other things that come Buy with me it. chocolates every day. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think that we could make a, a new tradition where every, you read a love poem every day, mm. you know, and think about it that way. We start with this, this hundred, we just got to come up with a few hundred more to mm -hmm. finish out the year. What if we started our mornings with love poems? I think everyone would be kinder, you know? Yeah. Um, it's hard to, it's not, it's hard to immerse yourself in poetry and not come out a little softer. Mm. Um, in the best ways. And so I that's what I would like. That's so true. Yeah. You agree as well, Carrie? Yeah, I think any writing that you look to that is meant to inspire and bring beauty to the world is the type of writing that, you know, you should explore yourself or expose yourself to on a daily basis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the hundred writers that you feature on a timeline at the American Writers Museum is First Lady Abigail Adams, right? Mm -hmm. who, who wrote more than a thousand letters yep. to her husband, John Adams. Are we just all a lot busier today? <laughs> or, or maybe yeah. there's just a lot more entertainment today than there was back in that day? Yeah, I mean, obviously we, we are distracted by electronic media and, you know, they didn't have that capacity. They had a, a strong burning love affair as a husband and a wife and a thousand letters more than a thousand yes. letters that's they, a lot you know and she wrote constantly and he wrote constantly and they you know they kept a dialogue alive through the written word and we're lucky to have seen that um you know i kind of point out to people sometimes who diss on social media and, and electronic writing that at least it is a means through which we are writing to each other, mm -hmm. which is sometimes good. As you said, you know, 
text as an art form can be there if if the effort is put in and and we live in a different world so you know we do have that immediacy but i think that if we think about the power of the words because when you look at those letters they she was really thinking about what she was putting pen to ink right and sometimes we don't think as hard when it's electronic um and if we put a little more effort into it you know the conscious process of writing carefully allows us to communicate more effectively to yeah. maybe have a greater impact on the person we're communicating with. So whether it's your wife or your lover or your best friend, you know, um, if you put a little of extra thought into what if this text was more than a text? What if it was a letter I was writing? Mm. Um, then, you know, then the connection you make on the other side might be a little stronger. You know, there's also, that's, that's really lovely. And there's also the, um, physicality of writing a mm -hmm. letter where you know that someone actually the touched, effort yeah they touched this and they were working on it in this particular way that's not the same as a text they they touched their phone they, their phone pad right that's the that's the means of communication yeah. but if someone's got a, a ink a quill and ink situation like the abigail adams or a pencil you know that, that there's there's a physical extension of the body happening and being put on paper, and that's a different kind of gift. What a great than, point. Than, you know, something electronic. Yeah, and the typewriters show us that all the time in the museum, especially mm -hmm. with young people and kids mm -hmm. who've never touched one before, is the tactile interaction. They touch the keys so lightly because they're so used to just the finger touch <laughs> making it happen. And you have to explain to them, you're stamping oh, ink no, on the Oh, no, you have to really you gotta hit that You've got to put some effort into it. <laughs> on and a and when, they, when they do, they get excited by it. That, that momentary feeling of, wow, I just did that and it's there. And mm -hmm. it was because of how much pressure I put on it. Sticking with you for another moment here, Carrie. We've been talking about how writers have um, expressed tender feelings for their, their loved ones. Tonight's a different story at, uh, at the American Writers Museum. Tell us about Down With Love. Yeah, so we have a monthly Get Lit program, which is always thematic to the time of year. Um, and it's a you know open invitation for people who want to buy a ticket. And we have drinks and fun things and activities. Um, we did Down With Love last year, and we realized we were just going to repeat it because people had so much fun. Mm -hmm. You know, and the, and the basic notion is that you know, rejection is a part of the writing process. So there are wonderful, famous letters of, you know, Hemingway being dumped. <laughs> um, uh, there are also great rejection letters that authors mm -hmm. got from their published works. Um, so we have an open mic where people can read. You have a rejection open mic. Yes, we have a rejection open <laughs> oh, mic. Oh, boy. And we have some printed up things if you just want to grab a piece of, you know, something famous and read that. Um, and then last year, on top of that, people had their breakup texts. They had letters from things they had submitted to publishers. Uh, you know, the, the one of the ones that we have out there is uh, a letter that was sent to from an editor to uh, Melville about Moby Dick, if you want to hear a, a little sure. sample of that, you know. Uh, it Quote um, from the editor, first, we must ask, does it have to be a whale? While this is a rather delightful, if somewhat esoteric, <laughs> plot device, we recommend an antagonist with a more popular visage among the younger readers. For instance, could not the captain be struggling with a depravity towards young, 
perhaps voluptu- voluptuous maidens. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so, so this rejection open mic isn't necessarily sad. No, a lot of it is very fun. Sounds and empowering too. It is. And we have a shredder and people, after they read the piece, oh, they man. put it through the shredder and they, they feel the, I love the, it. the catharsis of letting it go. Is there a poem about heartbreak, Adrian, that speaks to you? There is. There, there are many. It, it turns out that there are a lot of uh, jilted poets in the world. Lots to choose from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I brought, I brought one from the poet Ross Gay, who um, is maybe more well known for his poems about gratitude okay. and, um, and trying to be positive in the world. And this one's called Love, I'm Done With You. You ever wake up in your favorite footy PJs warming your neck like a noose? Ever up chuck after a home-cooked meal? Or notice how the blood on the bottoms of your feet just won't seem to go away. Love, it used to be you could retire your toothbrush for like two or three days and still I'd push my downy face into your neck. Used to be I hung on your every word. Sing, you'd say, and I was a bird. Freedom, you'd say, and I never really knew what that meant, but I liked the way it rang like a rusty bell. Used to be. But now I can tell you, <laughs> I can tell you your breath stinks and you're full of stuff. You have have more lies about yourself than bodies beneath your bed. Rooting for the underdog, team player, hook, line, and sinker. Love, you helped design the brick that built the walls around the castle and the basement of which is a vault, inside of which is another vault, inside of which you get my point. Your tongue is made of honey, but it flicks like a snake's. Voice like a bird, but everyone's ears are bleeding. From inside your house shines and shines. But uh, from the inside of your house shines and shines, but outside you can see it's built from bones. From out here, it looks like a graveyard and the garden's all ash. And besides, your breath stinks. We're through. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh midway through that one. I'm sorry. Well, these are good. These are good. And, and Carrie, you, you have a rage room tonight. At the museum where, where you can you can shatter your, your you, sorrows on a plate? Yeah, so um, we have these uh, special plates and uh, safety gloves and safety goggles. And you can decorate the plate, put the name of someone who's made you feel the way <laughs> Ross Gay was feeling in that poem. Um, and then you can uh, smash it and shatter it and feel it break apart. And as, no one's ever gotten hurt doing this, right? Oh, it's our first time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but we've tested it in the office and we have oh we, we, we have figured it out so that everybody will be okay <laughs> and, and adrian for those who might be filled with rage today but they they don't necessarily want to shatter a plate just leave us with with how poetry might help them manage their, their feelings a bit better <laughs> yeah I've been, I've been talking about the softness of poetry but it is words and they're they are cathartic and there are ways that you can um let that go in a more constructive manner maybe with a typewriter mm-hmm. yeah, that might be a good way to do it but the physicalness of it please get a pencil please get a pen and sit yes. down with the paper and and say what you have to say and then you can tear it up you can shred it or you can give it to the person and and deal with what happens after. Exactly. Our engineer, Ethan, shares that uh, there's a, a zoo somewhere that was letting folks name crickets after their exes and <laughs> <Yes>. then feed <laughs> them to lizards. So there's lots of ways to <laughs> to conquer your heartbreak. Uh, we'll leave it there. My thanks to Adrian Matika, who's editor of Poetry Magazine, and Carrie Cranston, who's president of the American Writers Museum. Thank you for joining us. Happy Valentine's Day to you both. Thank, Thank you. you. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah.